Hi, welcome back to another episode of our Six Questions podcast. I'm Harry Roth, Director of Outreach for Save Our States, and I'm here with our Executive Director, Trent England. Uh, we're just here to discuss national popular vote, what's going on in the states, and of course, the Electoral College. So uh, thank you for joining us, Trent. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's always good to have the tables turned here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, first question, national popular vote bills are popping up around the country in states like Minnesota and Michigan. Why does MPV seem so active this year compared to the previous years of the last few years? Yeah, you know, the, the the national popular vote campaign has really gone in in waves. And some of this is related to presidential politics, right? They they have a really hard time. Next year, they will have a really hard time in presidential election years because legislators don't want to be seen to be tinkering with the rules while the campaign is playing out. Whether or not those changes would take effect uh, or, or not, it's just a bad look. And so, you know, next year we expect it to be a little bit easier to stop national popular vote. I'm sure they'll still get bills introduced all around the country. And in election years, state legislative sessions are actually shorter. And some states don't even even have uh, legislative sessions like Texas, or they're limited to the state budget, like in Nevada. And so, I mean, this this is the big year because national popular vote is out there. You know, people are starting to think about presidential politics, but the campaigns are not underway. And they see this as their opportunity to make a statement, get a win. They haven't had a win uh, since, uh, what, what is it, uh, since 20, got the list here, 2019. June of 2019, right? And so national popular vote, uh, I mean, Save Our States, all of the activists, folks who are watching us, we've been stopping them at every turn for almost four years. And, uh, you know, they're they're desperate to get a win. Frankly, some of their lobbyists might lose contracts, uh, you know, at some point if they can't show <laughs> some progress. Uh, that's, you know, that's what we're going for. Yeah, we need to put MPV lobbyists out of work. That's our that's our job to save our states. And was that uh, Connecticut in 2019? Was that the last? Uh, 2019 uh, was Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was fortunate. Okay. Yeah, Connecticut was kind of the the first of the five states, and then Oregon was the last of the five wow. states that that joined national popular vote in the in the wake. You know, partly of the 2016 election, which obviously made folks on the left so angry. Um, but uh, but really, in the wake of the the 2018 midterm elections, when Democrats won uh, a lot more state legislative seats, and as that state legislative power shifted, then those states uh, joined the national popular vote compact. I mean, it's it's still true. Every state that's joined the compact has been a blue state. You know, these are states where there's just a lot of anger about the results of past elections, uh, which is understandable. Nobody likes to lose. Uh, but it's not the best reason to go and change the rules that yeah. you, know, you lost the last game, right? And, you know, in the Pentagon, they talk about the mistake of fighting the last war. And, uh, you know, I think what, what some of our Democrat friends recognize, the Democrats who support the Electoral College, and there, there are, you know, there are plenty of those out there, is that uh, the Democratic Party is better off if they have to go out and try to persuade Americans to support them in states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Texas and Florida. That makes the Democratic Party stronger. And by making the Democratic Party stronger, it makes our, our national politics better. So, you know, that that's a that's the right answer. Changing the rules through national popular vote is the wrong answer. OK, perfect. And our second question, uh, two MPB bills were just voted out of committee in Minnesota and uh, the House and Senate. When are those bills headed to a floor, uh, floor vote? Do we know yet? 
Well, we we don't know, uh, and this is you know part of the the sausage making process, as they say. Um, you know, even as we're recording this, the national popular vote supporters in Minnesota are trying to jam the 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 interstate compact into an, what's called an omnibus bill. It's one of these big bills that has a whole bunch of election policy in it, but it's mostly like campaign finance regulation. And then on page 81, they say, oh, we're going to put this whole national popular vote compact in there. Don't look at this. There's a bunch of, you know, relatively mundane changes to uh, to state campaign finance regulations and lobbying regulations. Sort of ironic. I mean, they're they're doing this partly saying, oh, we, we want more transparency in politics. <laughs> and we're going to hide national popular vote down here and try to sneak it through the process. So we don't know when it's going to happen. I mean, in a way, these shenanigans in Minnesota are partly a, a good sign, right? They show that the the folks pushing national popular vote there don't think that they're going to be able to get those standalone bills through if they have to face normal scrutiny, the normal legislative process, debate on the floor, an up or down vote, right? The national popular vote lobbyists are basically telling all of us they think they're going to lose they don't really have the vote so they've got to you know they've got to use this chicanery to try to get it through uh, we'll see i mean i i think uh, that the hearing as we're recording this so people will people will see this after the hearing has taken place and we'll be letting people know on our uh, save our state social media what the process looks like nothing is scheduled for the floor in minnesota at this point okay and has that happened before like mpv being attached to an omnibus bill it has happened unsuccessfully once in uh, once in Minnesota before. For some reason, Minnesota is the place where they, <laughs> they try to do this. I, I think actually, I mean, a lot of states have single subject rules, and a lot of states just have, you know, frankly, they they do a better job than Congress does at legislating, um, and so you see less. Uh, I, I should I should say fewer omnibus bills in state legislatures. Uh, but for some reason, Minnesota is the place where national popular vote lobbyists have tried this in the past. Okay. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, the third question, uh, there are two MPV bills in Michigan, and there's talk about a possible ballot measure as well. So what's the situation on the ground there with the bills and the ballot measure? Is it likely to happen? Yeah, we've heard rumblings about national popular vote pushing ballot measures in both Maine and Michigan. They have one actually filed in Michigan that they were trying to put on the ballot in 2022. We at Save Our States rushed up there, worked with some local allies, worked with some, some great grassroots folks, got the summary language changed. That's the language that would show up on the petition as people went out to gather signatures. That put the other side back on their heels, and they sort of provisionally threw in the towel, or I guess maybe I should I should use a different metaphor. I should say they punted uh, from 2022 to 2024. They could go out and gather signatures for 2024. Um, they're, they're threatening legislators to do that, saying, well, if you don't pass this, we're going to put it on the ballot. That's going to be bad for Republican legislators, which is really silly because the only time national popular vote has been on the ballot before was in Colorado in 2020. And it ran behind all the other statewide Democrats and left-wing causes, right? <laughs> Barely sneaked through, right? National popular vote is not that positive. I mean, Colorado is has become a blue state. Uh, in that election, it was very blue in 2020. 
And uh, and they barely were able to keep national popular vote from being repealed at the ballot box there. The idea that it's going to sail through in Michigan and hurt Republican candidates, the opposite is true. And if the legislature passes it, the same thing that happened in Colorado will happen in Michigan, which is that opponents of national popular vote will go out and gather signatures and put it on the ballot to repeal it. So it could wind up on the ballot in 2024 either way. This whole threat to legislators uh, is, you know, is very silly. Um, in in Maine, we don't know. We've heard that they're threatening legislators the same way. I, I just, uh, it, it's it's hard to say. Running ballot measures is very expensive. The national popular vote campaign has a lot of money. Um, but uh, they've 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 also shown that they like to spend it on fancy trips to swanky resorts <laughs> more than on other things. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see whether they really decide to run this at the ballot next year or not. OK, well, hopefully it doesn't get anywhere <laughs> for the country's sake. Yeah. Uh, and the fourth question, uh, Michigan and Minnesota, they're, they're both under trifecta Democrat control. Are Democrats are there any Democrats at all in those legislatures that are opposed to MPB? There are. There are plenty of Democrats who oppose the national popular vote interstate compact. Now, this this gets tough for a couple of reasons. One is that it's presented to their constituents as if this is a vote for whether or not you th you like what happened in 2016, which, you know, as, as I said in the answer to one of the earlier questions, that's really silly. It's short term thinking. Right. The, the Electoral College has a lot of long term benefits and people need to at least acknowledge those in this debate. But uh, the other reason it's it's challenging, there are there are Democrats who oppose the national popular vote interstate compact because they recognize that the compact is a terrible idea, no matter what you think about the Electoral College. And then there are Democrats who support the Electoral College. I mean, they they oppose the compact because they see that the, the Electoral College makes the Democratic Party a better party, forces them to, to do this outreach, build a, a broader coalition, right? They appreciate those things. But I think it's important for folks who are are wondering about, you know, well, is it even possible to stop this in Minnesota or in Michigan to focus on this, this first group of Democrats? Because every every Democrat is basically reachable with the message that the national popular vote interstate compact doesn't work, is probably illegal, and is very dangerous. And that's because the compact was written at this point, you know, going on 20 years ago, right, without the experience of 2000. 12 and uh, Hurricane Sandy, without the experience of 2016, without the experience of 2020, without the experience of COVID, without any states using ranked choice voting, or even, you know, ranked choice voting really being a part of the political conversation when the compact was written. All of these things have shown the weaknesses of a system that has no provision for recounts, no provision for conflicts, no provision for errors. I mean, I encourage people to go read the National Popular Vote Compact and look for those. Look for, what does it say about recounts? Nothing. What does it say about mistakes? Nothing. What does it say about conflicts among the states? Nothing. What does it say about uh, states having conflicting totals or, you know, this, this kind of political warfare that we, we saw particularly in 2020? Absolutely nothing. Right. It, and so in every one of those areas, it creates a, a big, uh, vague uh, space 
for campaign lawyers to fight in state courts, in federal courts, all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to try to manipulate how the rules work. That is not the way we run our, want, want to run our election system. But national popular vote creates a whole new set of problems and takes away a lot of the answers to existing problems that we've relied on in the past. So, I mean, that when, when Democrats really focus on the details of the compact, uh, that I found opens a lot of eyes and does actually shift a lot of Democrats to saying, hey, look, I don't like the Electoral College. I got problems with that, but I'm not going to do this interstate compact thing because this would be a disaster. So that's that's what we're seeing more and more of in, in those states in particular. Yeah. And the compact for as flawed as it is uh, written by, I assume, intelligent people. Is it purposely vague? I, I think it is. It is uh, purposely vague in two ways. So one is that uh, one is that by being vague, they don't have to come up with answers to these things. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, like on recounts. You know, and I've debated national popular vote folks all around the country. Like you say, I mean, they're, they're smart folks, but that doesn't mean that they put their smarts to work trying to solve problems. In some cases, the well, the problems they're trying to solve is their ability to sell this product, not to make it the best product they can. Because the, the problem with recounts is there's not really an obvious way to do it. You would have to create some kind of structure uh, you know, at, at least some kind of buy-in from the compacting states in some kind of structure to do this. And instead, they just have this really silly answer, which is, well, states have recount laws, and those will still be in effect if we go to the national popular vote interstate compact, which doesn't make any sense at all. Because, I mean, think about under the compact, you'd have two kinds of states, states that are in the compact, states that are out of the compact. States that are out of the compact are still running their elections the same way. So you could have a presidential election where the popular vote margin is 5 million, but in one of the states that's not in the compact, the margin is 50 votes. And that state under its current state laws is going to have to do a recount. Um, the recount doesn't affect the, the end result, but they're going to have to do the recount because that's what the rules say in their state. Now, that's, that's just as kind of a procedural issue. Flip it around the other way. You could have a national election where the margin in all this in each state not close at all, right? The states went, you know, way one way, way the other way. No state has a close margin, which means under current state laws, no state conducts a recount, but the national margin could be really close. And you could have partisans out there contesting big blocks of votes in some states, you know, saying that we think that there was some kind of really systematic fraud in Chicago or in Los Angeles or in Georgia or in Texas, right? And and what do you do then, right? In the compact states, so that, imagine if there's, you know, there's a there's a hurricane that hits Texas, and there's also accusations of some kind of really serious fraud. So you got a disaster, you got mistakes, you got fraud, questions about a, a big number of ballots in Texas, and uh, and Texas is not in the compact, but California is. So. California's recount law says, well, if the margin's really close, or you know, if one party or the other wants to contest it, and the margin's you know within a certain a certain bracket. Actually, in, in California, I think I think one party or the other can contest an election and ask for a recount as long as they're willing to pay for it. Well, they say the national margin that California is using is really close, and there's all these questions in Texas. We want a recount. We go to California and say, well, your law says you have to do a recount. Well, California can't recount the ballots in Texas. Yeah. And Texas might say, we don't want to recount the ballots. We're not in the compact. 
And the compact, again, it literally just has, I mean, that's an, that's an obvious kind of issue. I mean, you could have had that situation in 2012, uh, you know, 1960, you had a different set of issues, which make it so that nobody can really say definitively who won the national popular vote in that election. I mean, we've seen these things actually play out, you know, not to mention 2020, right? We've seen all these things actually play out and the national popular vote folks they're vague because it benefits them, not because it benefits the country. So true. And uh, our fifth question, uh, an MPV bill was just uh, it just received a hearing in the Alaska Senate, which seems strange, I think, to a lot of listeners. Is there any chance at all uh, that this year Alaska will join the compact? Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think so. I don't I don't take anything for granted. Right. And so, you know, our our friends in Alaska need to take this seriously, need to talk to their state legislators. But uh, I, I and I've been up to Juneau a couple of times early in this process, I think 2009, 2010, uh, to talk to legislators up there when the national popular vote folks were, were pushing this really hard. And their message in Alaska, which which is really silly. Um, and, and, you know, we got legislators up there to sort of finally like, you know, kind of catch on to the joke and, and laugh it off. And national popular vote went away in Alaska. Uh, till till this year, but what they tell they tell people in Alaska, well, you get ignored by presidential campaigns, and so if we just had a national popular vote, votes in Alaska would be equal to votes in New York or Philadelphia or Houston or Los Angeles, and so therefore you would get the same amount of attention, and therefore you'd get more attention than you get now. I mean, this shows how either naive, you know, smart people can be really naive. The, the, the guy who came up with National Popular Vote, John Coase, is clearly a very smart computer scientist. He's taught at Stanford. You know, he's there in the San Francisco Bay Area, right? He, I mean, he is one of those smart guys, right? The kind of guys who had their money at the bank that failed there, right? Like, you know, <laughs> you can be very smart and you can also, you can also have, you know, that, that can also cause you to have a lot of hubris and to really dangerously not know what you don't know, right? Sure. Under national popular vote, a vote in, you know, uh, you know, 300 miles outside of Fairbanks, Alaska is worth the same as a vote in Philadelphia, that's true. It's true the same way when I ran uh, for the state legislature in Washington State an age ago. Um, it's true in the same way that in the district I ran in, the person who lived in a subdivision where you could drive in, walk around, talk to people in every single house, um, his vote was worth the same as the lady who lived out through the barbed wire fence, down the long driveway, under the trees with three Rottweilers, right? Her vote was worth the same. I never talked to her, right? And I, I used to tell Alaska legislators, I said, look, you guys live up a long driveway, right? And you know it, right? Everybody in Alaska knows it. You like it. You like living up the long driveway, right? That has certain political ramifications. Yeah. There's no way around it. And they, I mean, it was funny. You talk to them and they because they've all run for office, right? Some of them have to, they literally have to campaign using like float planes, flying around and like landing on lakes to go talk to voters, right? Like <laughs> they understand that, you know, the, the next Democrat or Republican nominee for president is not going to be up there in the little villages, you know, on the float plane 
so like I say, I mean, this is an area where national popular vote, they, they oversell their products so much that sometimes laughter is the best medicine. And, uh, you know, I, I think Alaska legislators, there are actually some of them who are still there from when I was up there before. And, uh, um, I, I think, I think they're, I think they're going to pick up on this and understand why, you know, national popular vote sales pitch up there is silly. And by the way, that shows why it's silly nationwide, right? Because even if you throw the whole country into one electoral district, right, you rip away the state lines from the national map and everybody's vote is mathematically equal. That doesn't make all voters equal. It doesn't mean the campaigns say the same thing to everybody. It doesn't mean everybody gets to shake each candidate's hand, you know, 0.02 times, right? That's not, you know, the, the candidates aren't fractional. Campaign visits aren't fractional. It, you know, it means that some people are going to see more advertisements. Some people are going to see fewer advertisements, right? It shuffles the deck, but it doesn't change the fundamental nature of politics, which is that it's politics. True. Okay. So the last question, what is Save Our State's top priority for the rest of 2023, kind of moving into 2024 with the Electoral College is more top of mind for people? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the top priority for this year, of course, as it as it really always is, is uh, is stopping national popular vote um, from expanding, stopping the compact from adding states. I, I think I think we're going to do that this year. Obviously, there you know there there are real big fights in uh, in Minnesota and in Michigan. You know, maybe in Maine, maybe in Alaska. We'll see. Uh, but uh, but beyond that, the objective going into a presidential election year is really to to use that moment of focus on the electoral college to educate Americans about why this system is so important to maintain the kind of political stability and and political unity, even in divided times, right? The Electoral College nudges us toward more unity, bigger party coalitions, politics being more national and less regional. It nudges us that direction, right? No matter how much there are other forces pushing us, you know, to be more divided and more regional, right? And so we we want to explain that to American voters. Also, the way the Electoral College uh, limits the effect of election mistakes, protects us from the, the worst uh, results of election fraud, right? The Electoral College has all these beneficial effects. And, uh, you know, through our documentary, uh, Safeguard, which people can find on Amazon and on the streaming service Tubi, uh, you know, people can go and watch Safeguard and an Electoral College story. It's a full length documentary. And we will be, you know, we'll be advocating, uh, you know, for, for that, you know, sharing that with, uh, with people around the country. Uh, my, my, uh, my, my book, which I happen to have here that what wasn't planned, but uh, <laughs> you know, why we must defend the electoral college, which is a very short, I mean, it's really sort of a pamphlet from encounter books, but uh, uh, we will be making that available to, uh, to people um, around the country, everything we can do to just explain that, you know, look, the American founders, um, were they, you know, were they perfect demigods? No, they were human beings, right? But they were very smart. And they created in the Electoral College a process that is uh, better than all of the uh, the alternatives. Uh, so good that we've seen other countries use it as a kind of a model. And, uh, you know, it, it gives us an independent executive. It keeps a lot of power in the states. 
it protects our national politics. And so, you know, that's why I'd save our states. Our, our top objective really is protecting uh, that electoral college system so that we can preserve it and preserve the, this whole constitutional structure that's the foundation for everything that's great about our country. Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Trent, for joining us and I guess switching sides for uh, for this episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, Harry. This is uh, this has been terrific. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening. Um, you you help us so much in our battle uh, to fight national popular vote and protect the Electoral College. Please follow us on social media. Share this podcast, uh, you know, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And uh, until next time, we save our states. I'm Harry Roth and Front England. <laughs> Thanks, Harry.